April 24th, 2013. That's the day that the Rana Plaza building in Bangladesh collapsed. 1,138 people died, and another 2,500 were injured. It was the fourth largest industrial disaster in history. There were actually five garment factories in the Rana Plaza, all manufacturing clothing for big global brands. And the victims were mostly young women. The thing is, is that the fashion industry is actually the second largest global industry after oil. People and the environment are suffering as a result of the way that fashion is made, sourced, and consumed. So back in the 40s and 50s and 60s, back when our parents or our grandparents or maybe you listening, when you were growing up, you, you owned maybe 20 to 30 articles of clothing. There were four seasons of clothing, fall, winter, spring, and summer. And brands that were manufacturing, which 98% of clothing was made here in the United States at that time, brands that were manufacturing this clothing were coming out with new things once a season. Well, sometime in the 90s, let's say early 90s to mid 90s, that began to change. And over time, brands started coming out with 52 seasons of clothing. Yes, that is new clothing every single week. So when you think about it, when you go from four seasons of clothing to 52 seasons of clothing, obviously the amount of clothing that is being produced every year is a whole lot more than it used to be. Then on January 1st of 1994, NAFTA, or the North American Free Trade Agreement, came into effect. And that basically begun an outflux, I guess, if you will, of production of our clothing leaving the United States. So it kind of reversed, whereas 98% of our clothing was made here in the United States. It flipped, and about 90 to 98% of our clothing is now made overseas. I'm not going to get political. I'm not going to go too much into the whether I think NAFTA was good or bad or anything like that, but it's just these are just facts. This is just facts about our clothing production and how it's affected people and the environment. Because let's think about it. The way our society is now, we want fast, cheap fashion. And that comes at a price. That comes at a price of the people who make it and the environment that it's made in. Welcome to Business with Purpose. I'm your host, Molly Stillman of Still Being Molly. And this show is all about bringing you the stories behind the brands, companies, and small businesses that are changing the world. Each week, I interview an entrepreneur, a CEO, a nonprofit director, a community leader, or just an all-around amazing person who is trying to make a positive impact, not only through their personal life, but also with their professional career. My goal is to show you that no matter what you do for a living, you can make an impact right where you are. This week is a little different. This is something that I am introducing to the podcast, and that is solo episodes. So this week, your your host and guest is me. No, I'm not going to like <laughs> be weird and interview myself, but... Uh, This is something that I have wanted to do for a while, and after my 100th episode, I got a lot of questions, and I just thought it would be fun that every 10 episodes, and that's the plan right now, is every 10 episodes, I will be doing a solo show. I'll be taking questions from people on social media, so if you are not a part of my Purchase With Purpose Facebook group, make sure you join that. The link for that is in the show notes. Uh, You can also just search Purchase With Purpose on Facebook, and you should be able to find it. Um, And so I, I take questions on Instagram. I take 
questions on Twitter. And I've gotten some ideas for some shows that have content that you really want to hear and you really want to know. Now, before we dive in, I want to quickly thank our sponsor of the show who's able to help make the show possible, and that's Causebox. As you know, Causebox is one of my favorite ethical subscription boxes. I've been a subscriber for almost three years. Now, how it works is each season, a new box is released filled with everything from accessories and home goods and jewelry to the best in skincare and wellness products that are not only amazing, but they are also doing the most good. These are the companies you want to buy from. The products are not just beautiful, they're also useful. Now, the fall box sold out in record time, but they have released a fall welcome box that is also limited edition. So you got to hurry on over to stillbeingmolly.com slash causebox and use the coupon code molly for $15 off to reserve that fall box. So for this first solo episode, I wanted to answer probably the most common question I get all the time from listeners, from blog readers, and that is why I started shopping ethically, why do I think ethical fashion is important, and how do I make the choice to purchase from a brand? So how can I tell if a brand is ethical or not? So I started the show with just kind of some facts about the fashion industry. And that is sort of your baseline. That's your foundation for one of the things that really motivated me. But I'm actually going to tell you a story. And I think I've mentioned this in in an episode or two. Um, But how I really got interested in ethical fashion first. What was my kind of gateway to ethical fashion. So in 2011, I took my first trip to Kenya and I was on a missions trip working with an organization that we work with there in Kenya. We have a long-term relationship with this group. And towards the end of our trip, we just stopped in as kind of a touristy thing to do. We stopped in at the Kazuri Bead Factory in downtown Nairobi, Kenya. Kazuri is spelled K-A-Z-U-R-I. And so we stopped in this Kazuri Bead Factory and we toured the factory. We met some of the artisans. And for me, it was an opportunity to really see firsthand what providing sustainable employment could do for a person and a community. Kazuri actually focuses on hiring disadvantaged women in Nairobi, um, and they really, really love to hire single moms. And this is a demographic that is uh, that really struggles in this area. I mean, single moms everywhere are just incredible. But but when you talk about single moms living in a developing country, um, most of them are living in poverty. A lot of them are living in slums. They can't afford to feed their children. They can't afford to give their kids an education. By providing a mom, a single mom, a job, a sustainable income in a community, in a developing nation can vastly change not only her life but her kids lives community lives I mean it's it's incredible so I was able to see firsthand what Kazuri was doing to empower these women to give them skills to give them a living wage Uh, I mean some of them were sharing their stories of how they were able to get out of poverty they were able to um, you know purchase a home for them and their their children they were able to put their children through school they didn't have to worry about where their next meal was coming from it was just, it was really eye-opening for me. And so I, I started to think more about the way the things that I buy were made. And so I started just doing research. And so this is in 2011. And, you know, I had heard the term fair trade before, but I only ever kind of thought of it in terms of coffee or tea or chocolate and didn't really think of it in terms of anything else. And so that was the catalyst that got me interested in ethical fashion. 
So that brings us to today. I am obviously extremely passionate about this as I write about this stuff on my blog and I talk about this stuff on Instagram and I have an entire podcast that talks about this stuff. So um, this can be a really overwhelming topic for people and I don't want it to be because I don't pretend to be perfect. I still, uh, you know, I don't only buy from ethical companies. I try as best as I can and it's it's a process. It's progress, not perfection. It's not trying to flip your entire life and the way you purchase overnight. It's just that's not attainable. And sometimes I feel like the ethical world or the ethical community can seem kind of elitist and I don't like that. Um, I, you know, I try to be as positive as I can, but I don't ever want people to think that this is a you know, shopping ethically has to be elitist. It has to be expensive. It has to be difficult. I don't want anybody to think any of those things. At the end of the day, I just want to talk about how shopping ethically can empower others, how it can change lives and really impact the world on a greater scale. So with that being said, how do I make the determination on whether or not I'm going to purchase from a company? So there are different factors that I will bring into play, and we're just going to kind of break them down to you. And these are kind of questions that you can ask. These are questions that I look for. These are things that I just take into account when I'm looking to purchase from a company. So first is looking for things like certifications. So first, are they a member of the Fair Trade Federation? Fair Trade Federation is an is a worldwide organization that basically has a set of standards that this company has to meet. They have to pay fees to be a part of this federation. They have to meet meet certain requirements, paying a living wage, how they impact the environment, all those kinds of things. So if you're purchasing from a company that is fair trade certified, you can pretty much guarantee that this is a company that you want to buy from because you know that they are paying their makers a living wage, they are taking care of the environment, and they care about the way that things are made. The second certification that I look for is a certified B Corporation. This is actually, I don't know if it's super new, but it's its newer than the fair trade certification. And this is, um, uh, you know, companies that aren't, necessarily producing a product can be a certified B corporation. Um, And in similar fashion to Fairtrade Federation, they have to go through a certain amount of um, like a checklist of things. They are they fill out a ton of paperwork. They explain how things are made. They explain what their um, employees are paid. They talk about their impact on the environment or a giving model, all those kinds of things. There are a lot of things that are brought into making sure that a company that is a certified B Corporation is doing good. These are socially conscious, social good organizations. Um, But pretty much any business that wants to be a certified B Corporation can go through the process to become one. But they have to meet, again, certain requirements and certain standards. So if a company is a certified B Corporation, that is another thing that you can bring into account. Um, They also have to pay fees to be a part of that as well well. Another thing is the Global Organic Textile Standard or GOTS certification. Basically, it means that textiles are composed of a minimum of 70% organic fibers. GOTS also keeps track of data on energy and water resources and their consumption of textile output. They talk a lot about how they use less energy and less water while making textiles. So you can find this certification on certain products, certain companies. So that's another thing that you can bring into account. Now, the next thing is not necessarily a certification. It can be a little bit more vague. But do they fall into the category of a quote-unquote ethical 
clothing brand by the way that they market themselves. Now, this is going to be the kind of thing that you're going to really have to use your judgment on and see how this brand is marketing themselves. One of the ones that comes to mind that I love, this is a brand that I talk about all the time, and that's Elegantese. Elegantese, they are not a certified B Corporation. They are not a fair trade certified company, but they are an ethical clothing brand. And I know that for a couple reasons. One, I know the founder, Katie Martinez, but with Elegantese, A lot of smaller ethical brands choose not to be a part of the Certified B Corporation or Fair Trade Federation because of the fees that are involved, because that's a a pretty big expense. And instead, they will take that expense at the the smaller level that their business is, they'll take that expense and they'll invest it back in their business and in their makers. So Elegantese, they manufacture their clothing in Nepal. It's designed here in the United States, and they work with a nonprofit partner there in Nepal that actually takes women who have been taken out of the human trafficking industry and gives them a job and gives them sustainable employment. These women are incredible. They are trained and they become just absolute incredible makers. And so Elegantese is able to hire them and give them a living wage, give them an opportunity at a second chance. And I mean, the things that Elegantese produces are beautiful. Um, they actually are also, they just came out with a men's line as well. They've got a kid's line. Um, but this is a company that, you know, for all intents and purposes, you know, they're not certified in any of these things. But the way they market themselves, they make, they put their makers and their stories front and center and talk about the impact that they are having. So that's one thing that you can look for. Um, Next is, are they a small business? Um, I really love to support small businesses. Now, yes, even small businesses can maybe be a little bit, uh, you know, unaware of what's happening in their supply chain. But by looking at, you know, supporting a small business, you're supporting a local economy, things like that. So I love to support small businesses. Uh, For other clothing brands, are they manufactured in the USA? Now, this is where it gets tricky and probably I should do an entire episode on this. Manufacturing in the USA or having a label that says made in the USA isn't always an indicator that this is an ethical company. I hate to say that, but that's just the reality is a lot of times things can be manufactured overseas and the company will basically try to fake that the products are made in the U.S. by putting a tag on it that says made in the USA. Um, And then there are also factories in L.A. and New York that are not paying their makers a living wage and they are putting them in almost slave labor type conditions. So, you know, I would say... 90% of the time, if it's made in the USA, you're probably safe. But you just want to do your due diligence. Look at this company. Look at, at what they're saying about themselves. How are they marketing themselves? And things like that. Also, look at cost. If the cost just doesn't make sense, and if it does not add up, then maybe maybe you should think twice about purchasing from this company. Next And this kind of goes back to the falling into the category of an ethical clothing brand. But do they state anywhere on their website or social media anything about their manufacturing practices? Are they environmentally friendly? All those kinds of things. Like, is this something that the company is proud of? Are they proud of what they are doing? And and are they proud of their impact? Now, I don't fault companies that don't market themselves this way because the demand isn't quite there from consumers to know manufacturing practices. Yes, there are some, but in general, consumers just don't really think about it. And so it might not be something that they want to market front and center, even if it is something that is important to them as a brand. 
So it's just a matter of looking on their website, see if they have a section on sustainability, see if they talk about their manufacturing practices, see if they talk about maybe the environmental impact. These are things you can look into yourself. Um, One of the big, big, big companies that has recently come out and done this themselves is Target. Target actually has an incredible corporate social responsibility section on their website. They talk about everything from civic activity to community and philanthropy, diversity and inclusion, the planet, responsible sourcing, safety and preparedness, how they treat their team members, all that kind of stuff. It's absolutely incredible. They have talked about how they've been pretty open about how, you know, they're not perfect, they're working on it, but that they have goals in mind to be able to hit um, certain benchmarks over the next few years to become a more sustainable and ethical company. Um, They are working to make sure that they know every bit of their supply chain, which I think is incredible. And so for a large corporate company like Target to be able to come out and say, hey, this is something that we are actively looking into. We are making sure that the people who make our things are paid well. They're not, there's no child labor, all that kind of stuff. We want to make sure that our our carbon footprint is smaller, that, you know, that the impact on the environment where our things are made um, is taken into account. I think that's absolutely incredible. Now, on the flip side, um, some companies will say that they have a they'll have a sustainability part of their website. Um, and one brand in particular that comes to mind when I think about this, and this is sort of falls into the category of ethical washing or greenwashing, um, is H and M. And I'm happy to call them out on this, um, but. While H&M has improved over the years, I will I will give them credit that they are trying. However, let's talk about something and bring something into light. So they have this whole section on their website on sustainability and their goal towards sustainable fashion. So they're talking about how it's more than organic cotton and they value the entire supply chain and how it's all about how you care for your clothes and recycling your clothes and all that kind of stuff. Yes, I think that is important. I'm glad H&M actually has, I believe, a recycling centers in their clothing, textile recycling centers in their um, stores, which is awesome. That is a way forward. That is making sure that you are taking care of your clothing after it's done. But here's a couple of, here's my issue with it. Okay, H&M releases new clothes multiple times a week. You can basically go into an H&M on Monday and go to an H&M on Friday and the clothing is going to be different. I don't know how you can produce that much clothing and create a demand for that that much new stuff and be sustainable. Another thing is, is a friend of mine actually texted me the other day and she was saying how she was walking past H&M and there was a big sign talking about how all their jeans were $9.99. Okay, so... $9.99. Do you know what has to happen in order to make a pair of jeans? You have to plant cotton. You have to harvest the cotton. You have to gin the cotton. You have to mill the cotton. The cotton then has to be made into fabric and material. Uh, then that has to be dyed. It has to be cut. It has to be sewn by hand. All those rivets, all those zippers and buttons and distressing, that's all done by hand. It's not done by machines. And then it has to be shipped, whether overseas or you know within the United States. And then it has to be shipped from the distribution center to the place where it is sold. And then it is put in your hands. It goes through a lot of steps from the time the cotton is planted in the ground till you purchase that pair of jeans. Now, if you are buying a pair of jeans for $9.99, you know, you know, 
common sense tells you that the cost of making that pair of jeans was way more than $9.99. So how can you tell me that if you're buying a pair of jeans for $9.99 in a store that everybody along the supply chain were treated fairly, paid fairly, um, not wor- they weren't working overtime, they weren't working in dangerous conditions, there was no child labor involved, how can you tell me that? Because I don't think you can. So that's my issue with it is if a company like H&M is claiming that they are sustainable, then they have to start cutting back on their manufacturing and they have to start raising their prices. They have to. Now, I know for those of you that are like, but I love 9.99 jeans and I love buying jeans for 9.99. Well, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I don't know how anybody can buy a pair of jeans for 9.99 and know that everybody that was involved in the making of those jeans was paid and treated fairly. So, the last point that I want to make is if none of those things above apply, so if they're not a member of the Fair Trade Federation, they're not a certified B Corporation, they're not marketing themselves as an ethical brand, they're not a small business, they're not made in the USA, they don't necessarily state anywhere on their website or social media or anything about their manufacturing practices, if none of those things apply, what do I do? Guess what? I email them or I call them. Um, so I actually am going to read you an email that I have sent myself. You can, And I will include the text to this in the show notes. And so this is kind of gives you a template. So here's a sample email that I actually have emailed myself to Lily Pulitzer. So, dear Lily Pulitzer, I want to know who made my clothes. I've been your customer for years. I love your style. The bold colors and prints bring me so much joy. My own daughter is even named Lily. However, research from the Garment Worker Diaries has made me concerned that the women who make my clothes are not paid enough to afford life's necessities and support their families. Furthermore, they are underrepresented by unions that help them bargain for better wages and working conditions. In the Who Made My Clothes podcast, I learned how little workers are paid, such as the workers in Bangladesh that are paid as little as $1.40 an hour on average. And that number is adjusted for the fact that it is cheaper to live there. Workers are not being paid enough to live on. For instance, 53% of women in the study in Cambodia reported not having enough to eat throughout the year. In Bangalore, India, and in Bangladesh, only 7% of participants were members of a union. The podcast also discussed many barriers to workers being able to unionize, but it is important to me that workers in factories where you manufacture your clothes are able to join a union. With a union, they would be able to raise concerns about their pay and working conditions. I have asked you this question before, a few times in fact, but I have yet to get an answer so I'm asking you again can you tell me how many workers in your Lily Pulitzer fashion global supply chain are covered by collective bargaining agreements and or are part of independent democratically elected trade unions if you don't know what sort of effort are you making to find out are you actively making sure that they can both join a union and raise their concerns how are your garment workers paid how are they treated do they have access to free or affordable child care Or are they able to earn enough to afford it? Are they given breaks, overtime pay, holidays off, access to medical care? These are not crazy things. These are some basic needs. I would really like to know. I've wanted to know for a long time. I am paying attention. This is not just lip service or a random message. This is my heart and my passion. I want to see people around the world treated with dignity and kindness. I, a very loyal and repeat customer, stopped buying from Lily Pulitzer and other brands nearly two years ago when I couldn't get a straight answer or an answer at all to this question. So what can you tell me? And please, I'd like a straight answer. Don't just say your workers are happy. What measures are you taking to ensure that the people who make your clothes are being treated like human beings and paid fairly so they can support themselves, their families, and their surrounding communities? What systems are put in place to check your factories? Do you visit them? Do you have a third-party audit them? I want to know because I 
I really truly do care. Sincerely, Molly Stillman. So this is something that I have emailed Lily Pulitzer many times and I have yet to get an answer. I have called their corporate line and I have yet to get an answer. Now, I have emailed something similar to a lot of brands and I get answers. And sometimes the answers are vague. Sometimes they don't really know. And so I take those things into account. Um, One of the things that I also ask about is whether or not the factories they use, if they do manufacture overseas, are RAP certified. That's W-R-A-P. And that's the Worldwide Responsible Accredited Production. And what that basically says is that they are dedicated to promoting safe, lawful, humane, and ethical manufacturing around the world through certification and education. The program mainly focuses on apparel, footwear, and sewn product sectors. So, you know, if a brand is replying to your message or talking to you on the phone and they tell you that their factories are RAP certified, that's a great great thing for them to be doing. And one of the things that I always tell brands when they reply back to me with this stuff is, okay, that's awesome. Why don't you put that somewhere on your website? But for some brands, it's just not a priority and that's okay. I'm not going to fault them for that. But it is something that I take into account. So those are the seven principles that I sort of bring into account that when I am deciding whether or not to purchase from a brand. Now, am I perfect? No, no. Do I sometimes buy things from a brand I know is probably not ethical? Yes. Do I do it all the time? No. I really, really, really do make every effort to do what I can to purchase ethically. But sometimes it's just hard and sometimes it's just not possible. Maybe you're looking for something really specific and you can't find an ethical option. Um, So I just wanted to kind of give you that and give you that permission that if this is something that's challenging for you, that's okay. You can just start small. So I got a couple questions from readers um, and in my Facebook group that I wanted to answer here at the end because I think that it is um, an important, these are kind of important additional points to make. So Chelsea Duda asked, how do you determine confidently that a made in China company is, quote, good enough? What questions do you ask? And that is a great question, Chelsea. And I think this applies to really all international manufacturing. But China is definitely obviously one of those ones that we we think about immediately when we think about products being made overseas. But Bangladesh is actually one of the largest, if not the largest producer of apparel in the world. So Bangladesh, India, Vietnam, um, China, those kinds of countries. So going back to what I was saying earlier is that what kinds of checks are they making in the factories that they are producing? Are they, again, are they RAP certified? Um, do they do random audits? Do they do they do third party audits? Do they go and physically visit the factories themselves? Um, a company that I actually that comes to mind when I think about this is Grace and Lace. Grace and Lace is one of my favorite ethical fashion brands, and they manufacture ethically in China. And they actually do a lot of checks with their factories. They have incredible systems in place, but they don't necessarily talk about this in their marketing. They talk about how purchasing their clothing is helping to fund orphanages in India. But the manufacturing component is also really important to them. So those are the kinds of things you can bring into account when you're thinking about purchasing from a company that that manufactures overseas. I am not anti-made in China. I'm just anti-human trafficking and slave labor and things like that. So as if a company is manufacturing overseas, that's fine with me as long as they are making sure that the people who make their things are not being treated unfairly, if that makes sense. So 
The next question is, what are some red flags you look for specifically in those companies who word things in such a way that they try to sound like they operate ethically, but leave plenty of wiggle room for technicalities? That was asked by Ashley Hall Johnson. So this goes back to the example I was talking about earlier with H&M, whereas H&M has this entire section on their website about sustainability, yet it's just vague enough that it doesn't address fully, in my opinion, what they are doing to make sure that they are being an ethical and sustainable company. So a lot of companies will do what's called, you know, ethical washing or uh, green washing their companies to talk about like, oh, look at how ethical and sustainable we are, yet they're selling 999 jeans and it just doesn't add up. So I hope that answers that question, Ashley. And then this question was actually asked by multiple people in one way or another. So I wanted to just kind of give a blanket answer. And so where do you start that makes the most impact? So if this seems overwhelming to you, um, and I'm actually going to do an entire separate solo episode on how to shop ethically when you're tight on funds or you have a small budget. Um, But where do you start that makes the most impact? And I always tell people is just start with one thing. Don't feel like, again, overnight you have to change all of your buying habits because that's just not sustainable and it's you're going to get overwhelmed and you're just going to be like, well, whatever, I'm just going to go to Walmart. So I always say just start with one thing that is an easy switch. If you're a parent, that's your kids clothes. So shopping ethically for your kids clothes. If you love shoes, maybe you just start buying all of your shoes ethically. Maybe you are a makeup guru. Start looking at the makeup brands you purchase from. If you are looking at school supplies, maybe you really love school supplies or office supplies. Purchase from companies that are manufacturing their goods here or a company like Yubi that is, you know, kind of doing like a give back model, things like that. Just just start small. Um, I personally love to support brands that are w- actively working to fight and end human trafficking. I have an entire blog post that I did on this last January that listed over 52 brands that are directly in the fight against human trafficking. So if that is a particular issue that is near and dear to your heart, maybe start there. So, you know, if you really care about the environment, look at the companies that are manufacturing in a way that is good for the environment. If you care about orphans, look to shop from companies that are working to end the orphan crisis. Again, just kind of find something that really resonates with you and start there. And you'll quickly find that it becomes fun and exciting and you just feel really empowered. I say this all the time. This is a famous quote, but we vote every single day by the way we spend our money. So how are you spending your money? How are you voting today? So again, don't feel like you have to be really overwhelmed and don't feel like this is an unattainable standard um, because it's not. And it's it's fun and exciting and I love it. I love talking about it if that is not already evident. So that brings us to the end of this week's episode. And I so appreciate you sticking around and listening and tuning in. And I appreciate your questions in advance. So like I said, if you are not a part of that Facebook group, if you're not following me on Instagram, that's the best way to engage and f- ask further questions. 
I will have all these resources in the show notes for you so that if you miss something or if you have a question about something, you can reference it there. Another thing I wanted to quickly reference is two organizations, one, Fashion Revolution, and two, the Baptist World Aid Australia. So Fashion Revolution is an is a nonprofit organization. I believe they're based out of the UK, and they were started after the Rana Plaza Complex disaster, and they put out an ethical fashion report. They are really the, the leaders in this movement of asking brands who made my clothes. So if you just go to fashionrevolution.org, they have a ton of amazing resources there about this topic. Um, another organization that I learned about a couple years ago is the Baptist World Aid Australia. And every year they put out an ethical fashion guide. And what they do is they basically give brands a grade that essentially talks about their, you know, their efforts towards impacting the environment positive, positively. They talk about their the way that they pay their makers. All those kinds of things are brought into account. And so they give them a grade. Now, some of the co- some of the companies are very forthcoming with information. Some companies are not. Some are kind of vague. All those kinds of things. So you kind of have to take it with a grain of salt. But it is a really good kind of starting point to look at the companies that you're supporting. Also, this does come out of Australia. So a lot of the brands on the list, I'm like, yeah, I have no idea who that company is. But it does have larger companies like Victoria's Secret and Zara and Ralph Lauren on the list. So those two resources are also really helpful. And if you also want to know what brands to shop from, I have an entire directory on my blog, the Ethical Brand Directory, that you can go and reference and you can see the different brands that I have on there and what their categories are, like what they carry, what they sell. And so if you're looking for a place to start, that is another really great place to start. So thanks again for tuning in this week. If you're not already subscribed to the show, make sure you go to iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you listen to and click Click that subscribe button so you don't miss a new episode. If you liked this episode and you are excited about other solo episodes, you can submit topic ideas in my Facebook group or you can shoot me the idea on Instagram. And if you also like the show and you want to share it with a friend, you can use the hashtag business with purpose podcast and tag me at still being Molly on any social network. A big thanks to my amazing husband and executive producer, John Stillman, for editing this show for me and for Mark Killian of Third Wheel Media for the music. Now go do something good with purpose on purpose.